بسم الله بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومواله أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته. How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah, fantastic. So, inshallah ta'ala, we are continuing with this uh, portion of the hadith, At-Tariku Lidinihi Al-Mufariq Lil-Jama'ati, that the one who uh, leaves his religion and separates from the community. And we were talking about how Allah Ta'ala talks about uh, basically freedom of faith, freedom of religion in the Qur'an. We went through many ayat, and then after that, we talked about apostasy in the Qur'an, how, how Allah talks about many times, over 15 times, if, I'm, uh, if I remember correctly, how many times Allah talks about people who have left their faith, and you don't find that the head is mentioned with it. And I thought that was something worthy of note. Then I also now, this new topic is about what? Is about justifications for war. What does justify war in the Qur'an? So there are many ayat, but I just want to go over a few to give an idea. Allah Ta'ala says, وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ That fight in the way of Allah, those who fight you, but do not transgress. Indeed, Allah does not like those transgressors. So clearly there is, you know, when you're aggressed upon, then you fight back. Uh, uh, and then also Allah says, what? وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةٌ وَيَكُونَ الدِّينُ لِلَّهِ That fight them until there is no more fitna and until the worship of Allah is acknowledged to be for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The worship is acknowledged to be for Allah. And if they cease, if they cease their transgression against you, then there is to be no aggression except against oppressors. So it seems pretty consistent that if they fight you, then you fight back. But, you know, don't go to excess and extremes. Don't just keep it going uh, for the sake of, uh, you know, continuous battle. And also, if they're creating fitna and they're not allowing you to worship Allah, if they're actually stopping you, then you fight them. But, uh, uh, you know, you don't just go in excess. If they stop, then there is, then then there is no aggression except upon al-zalimin, when the people are doing clear transgressions. Allah says, فَإِذَا لَقِيْتُمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فَضَرْبَ الرِّقَابِ حَتَّى إِذَا أَثْخَنْتُمُهُمْ فَشُدُّ الْوَثَاقَ فَإِمَّا مَنَّمْ بَعْدُ وَإِمَّا فِدَاءً حَتَّى تَضَعَ الْحَرْبُ أَوْزَارَهَا Very interesting. So when you meet those who disbelieve in battle, strike at their necks until when you have inflicted a slaughter upon them, then secure their bonds and either confer a favor afterwards or ransom them until the war lays down its burden. And when you look into the tafsir of this, what does it mean that until the war lays down its burden? Not until you forced everybody to embrace Islam, but rather until you stopped the fitna, stopped the fighting, until these people basically back off. So, wallahu ta'ala a'lam, you can look into these ayat, and this seems to be the case. Furthermore, perhaps one of the most powerful ayat in this regard is what? Uh, the oft-cited ayah in which Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Mumtahina, ayah number 8, لَا يَنْهَاكُمُ اللَّهُ عَنِ الَّذِينَ لَمْ يُقَاتِلُوكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ وَلَمْ يُخْرِجُوكُمْ مِنْ دِيَارِكُمْ أَنْ تَبَرُّهُمْ وَتُقْسِتُوا إِلَيْهِمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُقْسِطِينَ That Allah does not forbid you from, uh, uh, from those uh, who do not fight you because of your religion and do not expel you from your homes from being righteous towards them and acting justly towards them. Indeed, Allah loves those who act justly. So, as long as they're not fighting you, as long as they're not trying to expel you from your homes, you can be just and good and kind towards, uh, towards these people. And in fact, Allah loves those who are just. So these are all indications that what? Fighting is a last resort. Fighting, uh, typically speaking, is when there is injustice and zulm and evil and oppression and so forth. And then you continue to fight until it stops. And then after that, you don't keep persisting. This seems to be consistent throughout the Qur'an. Now, when it comes to the idea of threatening somebody's life because they've changed their deen, is this concept mentioned in the Qur'an? It actually is, but not from amongst the believers. It's actually mentioned from the opposite side, from amongst the disbelievers. When it was said to Shu'ayb that they were told, we will surely evict you, we're going to kick you out 
from, uh, and those who have believed from our city unless you return to our religion. So this idea of, I'm going to threaten you until you come back to my religion, this is talked about in the Qur'an, but not amongst the believers. Rather, from amongst the disbelievers threatening Shu'aib and the believers with him, alayhi salam. Furthermore, same thing with Fir'aun, when the Sahra, uh, uh, when, the, when, the, uh, when the magicians, when they all prostrated and accepted Islam and embraced the deen of Musa and Harun, what did Fir'aun say? That he says, how dare you? You, you, you embrace the different religion without my permission first. And he threatened them and said, I will surely cut off your hands and your feet on opposite sides and I will surely crucify you all. So because you changed your religion, I'm going to kill you because of that. So this is found in the Qur'an, but not amongst the believers. Uh, that, that, I think, is, again, worthy of note. It's something definitely worthy of consideration. Allah says again, وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لِرُسُلِهِمْ لَنُخْرِجَنَّكُمْ مِنْ أَرْضِنَا أَوْ لَتَعُودُنَّ فِي مِلَّتِنَا That, in general, the disbelievers say to the believers, to the messengers, we will surely drive you out of your land or you must return to our religion. This is Surah Ibrahim. So again and again and again, you find that the threat is coming from the disbelievers and forcing people to embrace their way of life. Now, when it comes to the idea of people who said they were Muslim and then they become disbelievers, perhaps the most obvious group who has done this over and over again is clearly the munafiqun, clearly the hypocrites. Throughout the time of the Prophet in Medina, 10 years the Prophet was in Medina, and throughout that time you find consistently that the hypocrites were doing things that were demonstrating that inside they had kufr. Deep down, they were disbelievers. The only time you find that they're actually threatened with any sort of violence is not when they just have a, a deviant beliefs or faith, but rather when they actually start attacking and, and spreading rumors and spreading gossip and actually attacking the, the believing women and spreading rumors about them and so on and so forth. And, and these type of things, when there's actual fitna that they're causing, then they're threatened. But as long as they stop and they, and they take the threat seriously and they back off, they're not attacked or killed for their kufr on the inside, even if their kufr is, is well known. Even if wahi comes down to reveal, reveal it. Now that's very important. So for instance, what we find uh, is when Allah says what? Uh, in surah, this happens a few times in surah uh, Tawbah. Allah says, وَلَقَدَ قَالُوا كَلِمَةَ الْكُفْرِ وَكَفَرُوا بَعْدَ إِسْلَامِهِمْ That Allah says what? That these hypocrites, they, uh, they were saying a word of disbelief and they had disbelieved after pretending to, believe, to be believers. Now, if Allah is saying, you pretended to be a Muslim, or you, 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 you were a Muslim on the outside, but now you have exposed your kufr, what, what should we call that? You could say that that person's an apostate, and therefore you would expect that they would be killed. The munafiqeen were never killed. The munafiqeen were never even called munafiqeen. The only person that was aware of them was who? Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman, sahibu sirri, Rasulullah sallallahu That Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman, anhu, the uh, the one who had the secrets of the Prophet ﷺ, he was the only one who was made aware of who the hypocrites were, and he did not announce it, and he did not expose them. So, forget about killing, they weren't even exposed, even though they were known, even though their kufr was known. That's very important. Because again, how does this reconcile with the idea that, well, if you've uh, abandoned the deen, you have to be killed. Allah Alam. Allah says what? وَالَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا مَسْجِدًا ضِرَارًا وَكُفْرًا that, and there are those hypocrites who took for themselves a mosque causing harm and disbelief and division amongst the believers. You would think that if these hypocrites are causing kufr, then clearly they are disbelievers and therefore they are apostates, they should be killed. Yet, none of them were killed. And then the famous incident where uh, there was some sahaba, they were on an expedition, and you know, uh, people, when they're living in close quarters and everybody's stressed out, they're far from home, they're traveling, sometimes people get on each other's nerves, right? So there was an incident where one 
person kicked another guy in the, in the backside. And then they got offended, and he said, Ya Ansar, and he called his, his posse. And they said, Ya Muhajirin, he called his posse. And so, subhanAllah, even amongst the believers, they, you know, got into this, you know, match, you could say, where for whatever reason they got on each other's nerves, and they were about to start a big fight, and then all these, the two posses show up, and it's going to be a big rumble. And Alhamdulillah, the Prophet ﷺ shows up, and he uh, gets actually very upset at them. Ma balu What is this call to jahiliyyah? What are you people doing? You know, uh, bringing back the ways of ignorance. You guys are believers now. You're not supposed to be doing this. And so he said, leave this. Uh, uh, this is, this is, this is nonsense. This is ridiculous. And, uh, as a result of this, uh, Abdullah ibn Ubay, the famous hypocrite, he made a very famous state- statement where he said, when we get back to Medina, uh, the, the noble, as in us, the people of Ansar, we're gonna kick out the, 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 the weak people and the lowly people. We're gonna kick them out. And he made this statement and Allah Ta'ala recorded it and put it in Surah Munafiqun, in ayah number 8. That Allah said that they say, if we return to Medina, the more honored, the people of Ansar, we are surely going to expel the more lowly and humble people, right? Now this was a statement of kufr because he's calling the Prophet and all the believers lowly and using insulting terms. To the point that the Sahaba who knew about this, like Umar ibn al-Khattab, he said, what? We should execute him. He's clearly a kafir. Allah Ta'ala is testifying to the fact that this man is a kafir. And yet, what? The Prophet said, no, uh, leave him uh, so that the people do not say that Muhammad kills his companions. Don't kill him. Now, think about it. If Allah Ta'ala had sent the command to say, you must kill the apostate, then clearly this is a case. And to the point that even his own son, Abdullah ibn Ubay's son, came to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, if somebody's going to have to kill him, let it be me. Because if it's somebody else, and I see that guy in Medina, and he's like, hey, I'm the guy who killed your dad, I think I'm going to get into a fight with the guy. I can't take it. So let me be the one who does it. And the Prophet said, no, no, nobody's going to kill him. Don't worry about it. So everybody understood this guy is a kafir, a disbeliever. His own child, his own, his own son, is saying, I'll be the one to do the execution. Let me do it so nobody else, ha- else has to. And the Prophet said, no, do not. And it's not like these people are any better than kuffar. Why? Because Allah says about the munafiqeen, إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ فِي الدَّرْكِ الْأَسْفَلِ مِنَ النَّارِ That indeed the hypocrites will be in the lowest depths of the fire. So it's not like they're at some sort of higher stage. No, they're the worst of the worst. Because obviously when you have a castle, the enemy on the outside is bad, but the enemy on the inside is even more dangerous, right? So this is why the munafiq is even more dangerous for the believers. I hope that's clear. Yes, Allah Ta'ala did indeed state, uh, command the Prophet ﷺ, Yes, he said, O Prophet, do jihad and strive against the disbelievers and the hypocrites, but you never, and be harsh against them. But what you find is that this type of jihad or striving against the, dis, the, the, the munafiqeen is not like the kuffar. When it comes to the kuffar that attack you, you attack them. But when it comes to nifaq, it's on an intellectual basis. You never find that the Prophet ﷺ rounded them up and executed them, exposed them, killed them, nothing like this. You find instead that the way he, you know, you could say did jihad against them was what? By talking about what nifaq looks like, by talking about uh, and explaining what are the qualities and characteristics, how they speak, how they act, their tone, you know, their attitude, etc., etc., and then they just expose themselves more and more and more. And so he did obey this command, but not in a milita- milita- military style or way. Now, now we get to the portion of the apostasy in hadith. So this is all ayat of Qur'an, now we get to hadith, which is another big section. So, what does the Prophet say about the apostate? Now, the most famous quote, which everybody that holds the, the first opinion, the first opinion being that if somebody leaves their deen, you kill them. Why is this opinion so popular? Because of the hadith, مَنْ بَدَّلَ دِينَهُ فَاقْتُلُهُ <laughs> Straightforward wording, right? Whoever, men means whoever. Baddala means to change. دِينَهُ Whoever changes his deen, فَاقْتُلُهُ Then kill him. This is narrated by Ibn Abbas, 
and it is an authentic hadith in Sahih Bukhari. So if the Prophet is saying straight up, whoever changes their deen, kill him, where's the, where's the debate? You change your deen, kill him. Seems like this, there's nowhere to go, right? That's not actually the case. So, the first thing you have to pay attention to is, if you were to take this hadith 100% literally, what would happen? Technically, if you were to take it literally, that means anybody that changes their faith at all must be killed. But wait a second, that means if a Christian becomes a Jew, you have to kill him. Why? If a Jew becomes a Christian, you have to kill him. Why? If, they, if either a Christian or a Jew becomes Muslim, you have to kill him? What? Doesn't make any sense. So clearly, instead of taking this hadith and say it has to be taken 100% literally with no other, you know, just stay in a very narrow perspective, you would say, listen, that can't work if you, if you want to be extremely literalist. It just, it just can't work because that means every convert should be killed. Doesn't make sense. So then what do you do? You say, let's expand and see. Let's, let's look at it in the light of other ahadith. And the moment you have that attitude, then the world starts to expand a little bit for you and you start to realize, oh, when you take all the ahadith together, you see what's going on here. But even before we move to the next hadith, I want to be clear about this particular hadith. Man baddala deenahu faqtulu. It says, whoever changes his deen, uh, you should kill him. Now, uh, what's interesting is that this is narrated by Ibn Abbas. And Ibn Abbas held the position that the male apostate should be killed. But what was his opinion about the female? He said, no, the muharibah, the fem- uh, excuse me, the, the, the female apostate is not to be killed. Why? Because she's a ghayr muharibah. She is a non-combatant. Now that, right away, those of you that are paying close attention, something should spark in your mind. What? She's a non-combatant. Why does being a combatant or non-combatant even matter? If, you, if, you, if the whole idea is, the moment you lose your faith, you, you should be killed, combat should not even come into question. But the fact that they, in their minds, were already saying, no, well, obviously not the woman, that's the exception. Why? Because she's a non-combatant. Oh, ipso facto, or mafhum al-mukhalafa, therefore, what? The male is a combatant. That's why he is killed. It's not just because he left his deen on a spiritual, personal level. It's because he abandoned the community and because he joined the disbelievers. You have to think about this from the perspective of 1400 years ago, Medina being surrounded by enemies. Anybody that was with them knew they were under a lot of pressure and knew that the enemies were at the door. And anybody who left them, it's not like they just went and said, oh, I'm just going to go to a new city and, you know, get a job in my apartment and, you know, just sort of stick to myself. No, you have to live in communities, right? You, you don't think of it like nowadays, you know, oh, I'm just going to get a job at Starbucks and, you know, just keep to myself. No, you have to go to a community and be, become part of them. And they're going to want to know, well, what do you believe? Are you with them or are you with us? So you have to join them and say, no, I'm with you. I don't believe in that anymore. And if they fight, I'm going to fight on your side. I, I, I have my loyalty with you. Right? So when they say whoever leaves his deen, it seems that Ibn Abbas, even in his own understanding, is saying what? Well, he leaves his deen to join the enemy. Then we look at the hadith of today, which is what? At-tariku li-deenihi al-mufariqu lil-jama'ati. The one who forsakes his religion, separating himself from the community. Why would you mention these two together? Why would they be stuck together? Because it is qualifying it. It is explaining that, look, these things come as a package deal. You leave your faith and you leave your community to join another community. That's not just my opinion. If you look at the commentary, the sharh of this hadith from Ash-Shawkani, he says that separating from the community means what? Joining the disbelievers. So this is a classical position as well. And we're going to get to the fuqaha in a moment, inshallah, but I just want to get through the different hadith. There's another narration of this hadith that says that the blood of a Muslim is only permissible in three cases, and it goes through, you know, uh, uh, the one who is previously married who commits zina, and also the one, uh, a nafs bin nafs, that a life for a life. It's, it's similar, it's very similar hadith, but the wording, look at this, it's very slightly different, but it says a lot. This is in Sunan Abi Dawood, and is a sahih hadith. The wording for this portion is what? وَرَجُلٌ خَرَجَ مُحَارِبًا لِلَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَإِنَّهُ يَقْتَلُ أَوْ يُصْلَبُ 
That, what is it? The Prophet says what? The one who goes forth to fight against Allah and his messenger, in which case he should be killed or crucified or exiled from the land. So this hadith is making it explicitly clear. It's not just saying leaving your deen. It is leaving the deen, leaving the jama'ah, joining the enemy and fighting against us. And there's an authentic hadith in Sunan Abi Dawud. If that's not enough, there's another hadith in Sunan An-Nasai. It's also sahih. What is it? إِذَا أَبَقَى الْعَبْدُ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ الْمُشْرِكِ فَقَدَ حَلَّ دَمُهُ That if the slave runs away to the land of shirk, and then it becomes permissible to shed that person's blood. So it's not just about leaving the believers, but it's specifically talking about going to the land of the disbelievers. Now, how did the Prophet ﷺ himself, these are all the various ahadith, when we put it all together, it paints the picture a lot clearer. What about the Prophet ﷺ dealing with apostates during his time? First and foremost, there's a quote from Imam al-Shafi'i where he says, the Prophet ﷺ never killed any of the apostates. So this is a well-known fact that you can't find an instant where he killed somebody just for leaving their deen. You will always find what? That if they left their deen, they also became a combatant. So let's go through some examples. There were people that left their deen in the time of Mecca. Now, of course, you could say during the time of Mecca, they had no power anyway. But it's still interesting to note that after Isra wal Mi'raj, some people said, what? He's claiming that he went all the way to Jerusalem and then went into the heavens. I don't believe this. Nothing happened to them. Interesting. Then also some of the believers, they left and made hijrah to Abyssinia. And from amongst them, one of them converted to Christianity. His name was uh, Ubaidullah ibn Jahsh. He left Islam, became a Christian. Nothing ever happened to him. You might say again, but they didn't have the power to do anything. Fine. Let's take a look at Medina. Now they're in charge. Now the believers have power. Actually, no, before we get to them having power, let's go to Medina in Hudaybiyyah. Hudaybiyyah was a state of weakness, but still, if Allah commanded that you must kill the apostate, then why is it that one of the stipulations in the treaty in the Salh of Hudaybiyyah, one of the stipulations was what? If any of those with Muhammad Sallallahu uh, uh, come to the Qurayshi camp, then the Quraysh will not send him back. And the Prophet signed and said, okay, that's fine. In other words, so the question becomes, how could the Prophet agree to give them asylum if he's commanded to kill them? How can you agree to give them, giving them asylum if he is commanded to kill them? It doesn't seem consistent. There's an even more explicit hadith in which uh, Jabir ibn Abdullah, anhu, he says that there was an A'rabi, a Bedouin, bay'a Rasulullah he gave bay'a to the Prophet and then he got uh, a fever. He didn't like the, 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 the weather conditions. He didn't like the climate of Medina. It was a very tough climate. A lot of people got sick when they first moved there. The, obviously, the Ansar were used to it, but you know, newcomers were like, I'm just not used to this weather. It messes with me. So he was one of those people. He made bay'ah to the Prophet He started to get sick. And he said, what? قَالَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ بَيْعَتِي You know, leave me. Let, let me, let me uh, depart. Let me, uh, what's it called? Uh, cancel. Cancel my pledge. فَأَبَى The Prophet refused. He came a second time. Cancel my pledge. No, it doesn't work like that. You can't come and say, I pledge you my allegiance. Ah, never mind. Oh, you know what? Yes. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. A pledge of allegiance, it's, that's it. You, you are now a believer. You can't just, it's not, uh, you know, something you could, oh, after two weeks, you can cancel your registration or whatever the case is. It doesn't work like that. So the Prophet said, no, no, you can't, you can't cancel it. Once, twice, three times, finally, after the third time, فَخَرَجَ الْأَعْرَابِي فَقَالَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ الْمَدِينَةُ كَلْكِيرُ That then finally, after the third time, this A'rabi, this, this Bedouin, what did he do? He said, I'm out of here. I'm just going to leave. So the Prophet ﷺ, you would think that if he's disobeying the Prophet ﷺ, if he's breaking his Pledge of Allegiance, then therefore he is now a disbeliever. And what did the Prophet ﷺ say as a response to that? Indeed, Medina is like a furnace. It expels its impurities and it brightens and cleans whatever is good within it. He could have said, Sahaba, execute. Right? He could have, he could have said, this guy, he needs to, he, he's, he's disobeying. He's a, a, a renegade. He is a murtad. Execute. The Prophet just said, he's going to leave, that's fine. This Medina, it keeps the pure and it expels the filth. So if that person doesn't, can't handle it, that's fine. Very interesting hadith. There are lots of hadith similar to this. 
For instance, there were people at the time of the Prophet that when the Prophet was dividing up wealth, people would get very angry because they always wanted more money. So one time, amongst the Sahaba, one, one person said, Ya Muhammad, i'dil. O Muhammad, be just. Now, you can't say that, <laughs> right? Because what are you implying? That he's being unjust. And the Prophet said, Waylak, وَمَنْ يَعْدِلْ إِذَا لَمْ أَكُنْ أَعْدِلْ Who's going to be just if I'm not just? What is like, what's wrong with you? And then the Sahaba were saying, Ya, ya Rasulullah, we can execute him. And he said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't execute him. Ma'ad uh, Allah, you know, uh, may Allah protect us. We don't want you know, people thinking that he kills, we, we kill our own companions. You know, this is not, this is not, a, this is not what we're about. So this, is a, this, is, this can be easily considered a statement of kufr, that the Prophet is unjust. Okay, then he's not a prophet, clearly. But he's saying, Ya Muhammad, i'dil, be just. Did not kill this individual. Well, another instance, when the Prophet was doing a, uh, uh, arbitrating between uh, one Sahabi and also a Zubair, a Zubair ibn al Awam, what did he, uh, the man say? The, the Prophet gave a certain judgment, and then this Sahabi he said in response, uh, Ya Rasulullah, and Kana ibn Ammatik. He said, O Messenger of Allah, the reason why you divided like this, this is because Zubair, he's your cousin. So, in other words, he's saying you're favoring him. The, you know, you made this deal between us that I get this portion, he gets that portion. The only reason you do that because he's your cousin. This is favoritism. Clearly, this is a statement of kufr. Was the man killed? No. This is in Bukhari, and the last one was also in Sahih Muslim. Then, uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, uh, uh, there's another instance in which the Prophet had to distribute some wealth. And then one of the people, it's always with money, you know, people get really angry when money's being, you know, they always want more, right? They always feel like that, that wasn't just, that deserved more, right? So again, with money, Somebody said what? That it was said what? This distribution, the way the Prophet distributed the money, this is not done seeking the face of Allah. In other words, this is not sincere. You're, 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 you're doing favoritism. Subhanallah, again, uh, what did the Prophet say? Kill this man? No. Instead, what? That all the Prophet said was, May Allah Ta'ala have mercy on Musa. He was harmed and even worse than I, than I am being, than this, and yet he endured patiently. All he said was, Ya Allah, may Allah bless Musa. I know that he had it harder than me. Subhanallah. Um, this also happened at the time when Allah Ta'ala changed the Qibla. Allah said, وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الْقِبْلَةَ أَلَّتِي كُنْتَ عَلَيْهَا إِلَّا لِنَعْلَمَ مَنْ يَتَّبِعُ الرَّسُولَ مِمَّنْ يَنْقَلِبُ عَلَىٰ عَقِبَيْهِ That, and we did not make the Qibla which you used to face, we did not uh, um, uh, uh, make this new Qibla, except that we might make evident who would follow the messenger and who would turn back on his heels. Allah mentions the fact that some people are going to turn back on their heels. Guess what? Some people did. Some people said what? We pray in one direction, now we pray in another direction. I don't believe in this Islam anymore. And because of that, were there any, was anybody killed? The answer is no. Subhanallah. Now, some apostates were killed. Who were they? When the Prophet ﷺ conquered Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ said, certain people, this is a hadith in Sunan al-Nasai, and it's a Hassan hadith. The Prophet ﷺ said, there's four people that, uh, uh, if you find them, even if you see them clinging to the Kaaba curtain, execute them anyway. Who are they? Ikrama ibn Abi Jahl. Amazingly, Ikrama, he fled from Mecca, he was about to leave on a, uh, uh, he, went, he went on a boat, there's a long, long narration about how he went on a boat and then it was a, a stormy, um, you know, it was, there was a big storm and then they were saying like, pray to God, pray to Allah that, you know, um, uh, that we get saved. And so this is that classic thing where everybody gets sincere when they're about to die. And then he realized, why would I pray to Allah on the boat and not pray to him? You know, why would I do shirk when I get back to land? So he came to his senses, he went all the way back, finally when he was, you know, when he got safely back to land, he went all the way back to Medina, repented and said, Ya Rasulullah, I embrace Islam. And, uh, and so he never was killed. Even though the Prophet said, if you see him kill him, he still was forgiven. Who's the second person? Well, Abdullah ibn Khattal. 
Abdullah ibn Khattab, yes, he was uh, executed. And also uh, Miqyas ibn Subabah and Abdullah uh, ibn Abi As-Sarh. So these are uh, three people. Two of them, the first two were killed. But why were they killed? When you look into their biographies, you find out that subhanAllah, it wasn't just that they had apostated from Islam, but in addition to that, that Abdullah ibn Khattal was a tax collector from, for the Muslims, and when he was traveling with a Muslim, they got into a dispute, he killed him, and then he fled to Mecca to become an apostate. So he committed murder and then left the deen. He said, I don't want to be, I don't want to stand trial with the Prophet Muhammad. I got mad at this guy, I killed him, I'm going to go join the disbelievers. So, it was because of murder. Then, and plus he was, he was entrusted to actually be a tax collector, and then he went uh, rogue, you could say. Then, Miqyas ibn As-Subaba al-Layfi, he was a Muslim, then he killed an Ansari, and he became an apostate, he joined the Quraysh, and he bragged about his treachery in poetry. So yes, the Prophet ﷺ said, this person's, uh, you know, this person can be executed. What you find consistently is what? That it is not just their disbelief, it is disbelief and joining the enemy army or also murder. And as for Abdullah ibn Abi Sarh, he joined the infidels. He also went and joined the enemy army. And then, in, in, subhanAllah, the Prophet ﷺ commanded that he be killed, and yet Uthman ibn Affad said, I, I, I'm asking protection for him. Please, like, spare him. And, and the Prophet ﷺ gave him protection. Now, again, if this was a case of this is a command of Allah and there's no compromise, then obviously the Prophet would have done it. But the fact that he allowed leniency shows that this does not seem like a command that needs to be strictly uh, adhered to. And we know, we know that uh, when it comes to, like, for example, a cutting of the hand for the thief, that when, when uh, Osama bin Zayd came to the Prophet and said, maybe I can you know, intercede on somebody's behalf, what did he say? He said, if Fatima bint Muhammad, if my own daughter stole, I'd have to cut her hand. There's no compromising. So when it comes to the commands of Allah, you can't mess around. So why is it that Uthman was able to intercede for this individual? Maybe it's because, like we see, it is not a direct command to kill somebody who just changes their deen, and Allah knows best. Now we get to the portion of the Sahaba. Really, when we get to Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali. So let's take a look at the Khulafa. This is where things get a little bit tricky, because you'll find quite a few narrations about them uh, executing the apostates. So for example, we know Ar-Ridda, the wars, the Ridda wars. However, we know that Abu Bakr, he didn't just attack those who left the deen, it was those who, uh, you know, uh, uh, separated from the state. So some of them said, we're still Muslim, we just won't pay zakah. And he said, we're going to attack you anyway. So it's not necessarily a faith matter, it's a political issue. So, and, and furthermore, there are some narrations about a woman named uh, Um Qirfa, and that she became an apostate, and she was killed during the time of Abu Bakr, uh, however, number one, all the narrations are weak. Number two, some reports include that she was a combatant. And number three, some mention that she used to recruit other soldiers. So, and the fact that all of it is weak, it's really not much strength there. As for Amr ibn al-Khattab, who was a Khalifa for 10 years, there are many different instances where people fought against the believers. And so you can see consistently that it wasn't just a case of them disbelieving, 